Well, that's a pretty good introduction. Uh, I might have to get him to do that again sometime. Uh, I'm not all that great, by the way, but we're going to get through this thing this morning. So we're looking at a part one of a three-part series uh, that's starting today, uh, and it's uh, Courage, uh, and that's the one we'll be doing today. Uh, but the three-part is, is courage, conviction, and calling. So we're going to kind of look at the courage part today. Um, you know, I, I wasn't sure how this was going to go, and, and the good thing about it is I, get, I did get to hear Pastor Keith preach this this morning, so maybe that'll help me a little bit. But, of course, my twist is always just a little bit different. Uh, I'll just be adding a few things. I'm supposed to be through here at a certain time, so we're going to try to get out of here on time. Um, so anyway, we're going to start looking at this and, and just kind of remember that today's uh, main topic is courage. Uh, we need courage. Um, I, I've learned over the years that I used to always think that I had to know how to do everything. Uh, I kind of grew up, I grew up on a dairy, um, kind of a poor country boy. Uh, now, we never do a did without, don't, I ain't saying that. But, you know, we, we had to do things on our own. And I thought I had to do everything, uh, fix everything, do everything. But I've learned through life as I've got older, it's a whole lot better to know somebody that's good at something, <laughs> you know, than it is to be able to do it yourself. Uh, but we got to know somebody. But the good thing about it this morning is if you've been born again, you know somebody. Okay? So the whole time I'm going through this, I'm saying this now so that I won't lose the flavor of this thing, that our courage comes from Jesus Christ. Because without him, we are nothing. But I've learned something. That through him, when I turn, see, I ain't never been able to whoop nobody. Okay, I just ain't no whooper. So I learned as I got older to always save a little money to have somebody whoop because I can't do it. And when you tell somebody you're going to whoop somebody, well, then they always think, well, that's a contest. We'll figure this out. But when you tell somebody I got enough money in my pocket to have you whooped, now we're getting into reality, right? So the thing about it is every time the world comes against me trying to whoop me, I turn it over to Jesus. I got somebody in my back pocket that can whoop you, right? But the beauty of it, and we're going to look at that this morning, is that his mercy trumps over his judgment. Amen? Well, let's look at this. We're going to start with Ezekiel this morning. I like Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet to the nation. He's also a prophet of a lot of the end-time results. This prophecy we're going to look at right now was a prophecy given to Israel back in the time of Ezekiel and Daniel. It was kind of during that time frame. Uh, and it's and the beauty of Scripture is that it has multiple meanings and multiple situations. And that prophecy that was given to them then meant something to them, but also... It affects, it affects us even today and even in the future. And I hope I'm able to bring that out with you this morning as we read this prophecy that was given to Ezekiel. So let's look at Ezekiel 22, starting in verse 23. It says, again, a message come to me from the Lord. Now, this is Ezekiel saying, again, another message has come to me. Ezekiel's been doing a lot of prophesying, okay? And he says, son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation... In other words, that is an anger that has arose from a from a um, injustice. The people not doing what they're supposed to do. I said, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and exhorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests, now you're getting into the church here. The pre, your priests have violated my instructions, defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. 
And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. He's telling them, he said, what's going on in your time right now is you are not doing as I have instructed you and you are not paying attention to the laws of God for you and your land. And through this, your people are destroying yourselves and your leaders and everything. So let's look at this. Just look at this verse. <clears throat> your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. Does that sound familiar? Uh, even our, our, our governments, governments, I don't want to beat them up too bad. But I've noticed one thing over my years of being alive and paying attention to government. If they wasn't corrupt when they went in, they usually are when they come out. I hate it, but that's, that's the way it is. Because the ways of the world is influencing them in a way that it lets, it, they, they lose their guard. They let down their guard. And God says, this is a problem. And it happens also within the churches that they're not doing as they're supposed to. It says, and your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. Does that sound familiar? They say my message is from the southern, southern Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. See, there was a law in the land at the time that even if you was a foreigner, when you come into the land of Israel, they were to treat you the same. That is a model and a type of us today. Because we are foreigners coming in. It was, a, it was, a, it was also a prophecy of, of the Gentiles, of the church, of the age, that as we come in as proselyte, if you will, into the Jewish, because uh, the, the salvation come to the Jews first, right? And then to us. It's a way that we, they were supposed to allow us the same as them. And Peter even had to go through a whole few chapters just to try to explain that, right? Uh, even the common people are oppressing. In other words, if you're, if you're not taught right even in church, how in the world are you supposed to do right when they don't know no better? Right? It's up to us, and we're going to look in a moment. It's up to us to keep that purity and justice and just the law of God, if you will, and we're going to look at that in a moment, to keep it going. Let's look at verse 30. Verse 30 is going to be a kind of a, one of our uh, focus verses. It says, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. Rebuild the wall that guards the land. Can't just let anything in. I'm just telling you. I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found none. He found none. Now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 31, and we're going to back back up to 30. So now I will pour out my fury upon them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. You know what the beauty of it is? It's sad that he couldn't find a man to stand in the gap at the time and will God's judgment come upon sin you better bet you it's coming it hasn't happened yet and we're going to look in a few minutes and in, in, in a second uh, one of Peter's second letters we, we, we're going to look at, at, at why it hasn't happened yet but it will happen God confronted them, the nation of Israel, over their sin. He was telling them, you know, you've sinned. You haven't paid attention to my laws. You haven't, you haven't paid attention to the, to, to the scriptures, if you will. And you've let all these things happen. You've, you, you've, from the top 
to the bottom is tore up. That's basically what he's saying. You're tore up from the floor up. That's basically what he's telling them. Y'all with me? And he said, because of this, because of your sin, you're not able to flourish. Your land is without rain. And without rain, you don't flourish. And the rain is the rain of the Lord of Scripture. He wasn't really, I mean, Scripture's unique. <laughs> you really won't understand. You know, I've, I've always had people, well, what, what translation do I need to use? Well, I use myself, I use King James Version. King James Version doesn't scare me at all. The these and thous, I know who the and thou is. Okay, I can handle that. It don't bother me. But I don't care what translation you use. If you don't have the inspiration and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand none of them. That's what you got to have. The devil knows all the words for all the translations. The problem is he don't have revelation. Now, I try to give him revelation every once in a while because I keep reminding him that my big brother's going to kick your tail one day. You know, leave me alone, right? Because he's always bothering me. Nothing I want to learn. We will learn to, is the, the better you do, the more they monkey with you. You ever been monkeyed with? You know what I'm talking about? That monkey. He just always monkeying with you. He's messing with you all the time. It's what the devil's going to do if you're doing right. It just happens, right? So let's look back at verse 30 again. It says, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. The gap in the wall is, this is what happened. When Adam sinned, and we inherited that sin nature, when man sinned, when I say man, I'm talking about male, female, it's, it's just mankind. When man sinned, there was then a gap between God and man. And he needed a man to stand in that gap. Now, there's some models. What I like about Scripture is that there's models in Scripture. You know, from Abraham, Isaac, uh, down to Rachel, that's all a model of the father and the son. Uh, they're just models throughout the Bible. But there's two models of standing in the gap up to this part. One of them is Abraham in Genesis 20. You see where Abraham actually stands in the gap in a way. Okay, now I'm just, we're talking about a model here because what Ezekiel is prophesying is absolutely correct. Okay, so don't get me wrong on this. But there's models. And in Genesis 20, you see where Abraham stood in the gap. Moses stood in the gap. Exodus 32, you can look at it and read it. He stood in the gap, right? But guess what we have now? He said, I looked for a man who could stand in the gap, and I found none. There had to be a kinsman redeemer. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll find out where, where Cain killed Abel. One of the biggest parts of that, of Cain killing Abel, is where the devil talked Cain into doing that because they thought Abel was the kinsman redeemer. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand the, 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 the prophecy that was going on within the Scripture when it talked about, uh, I will put enmity between you, between your seed and the seed of the woman. Adam, Eve, the devil, they all missed that, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman was talking about, that's the first hint of the virgin birth because the seeds of the man, not of the woman, that's a contradiction in biology, and only God can do that. Y'all see what I'm saying? So they was looking for that man that was standing in the gap. There had to be a kinsman redeemer. That's why Jesus had to be born of a man. He had to be born of a woman. And it was the seed of God because he's God's son. Y'all with me? So just to go ahead and let you in on this before we go any further so I don't miss this, Jesus is the man in the gap. He is the one who is the mediator between God and man. But then they couldn't find one because Jesus hadn't been born yet. And that's a prophecy. 
And then Jesus now, so so another thing, I'm going to go on through this. Before I I lose the flavor again, I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Is that you and I are the voice of Jesus to stand in the gap now. You see, there's got to be a model. There's got to be someone that's going to stand in the gap even now for the people of now. And it's the voice of the church. The church is the only voice of Jesus Christ. You going have you ever seen the voice of Jesus Christ through the government or through the through the media or through anything else? You ain't going to. You're only going to see it through the church. You see what I'm saying? So who is who is the one who stand in the gap? It's you and me. It's all of us that would stand in the gap. So why courage? We're looking at courage, right? We need courage. So we're going to go to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be eventually reading through verse 9. Uh, and then we're going to get our, our, uh, our weekly memorable scripture out of this. Joshua is a good courage guy, okay? So why courage? you got to have courage to stand in the gap. Because most of the time... Ain't nobody, ain't, ain't nobody going to help you do it, right? Uh, a while ago when I was sitting right there and they were singing how God surrounds them, it kind of reminded me of this because without his, him surrounding me, there's no way I'll have a courage on my own to stand in that gap. So we've got to search for our courage through Jesus, through the Scriptures, through God, through the Holy Spirit. You see, we have a gift that's given to us as the church. It's called the Holy Spirit. Without it, you ain't got no courage. You ain't got nothing. So seek the Holy Spirit on your, on your hand, in your quiet time, in your prayer time. Who are you praying with? Holy Spirit, right? Without Him, you know, I, I feel sorry for some of the early church. They said, Holy Spirit, we ain't never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what was He doing? You know? And uh, without it, you're on your own. And guess what happens when you're on your own? You get whooped, right? So we're going to have courage. We ain't getting whooped this morning, right? So let's look at Joshua. I gotta run. I'm going to run out of time for him and get started. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all your people, to the land which I am given to them, the children of Israel. So Joshua was the, the next in line man under Moses. Remember, if you go back and read the scripture, if you, if you remember, my, uh, Joshua was one of the ones that come back and said, oh, yeah, we can kick our tail. And the others were saying, uh, we're like little grasshoppers. And Joshua's not. No, we're not because we got the Lord go with us. Joshua was the man. I like Joshua. Joshua had a lot of courage. Let, let me give you another little insight on Joshua. Before you, can, before you even read the book of Revelation, you need to read the other 65 books ahead of it. Okay? It's real hard. A lot of people say, well, I don't understand the book of Revelation. Well, you can't take no book, read the last chapter of it, and know what the book's talking about. Right? You've got to read everything else. But the book of Joshua is a forerunner. It's a model, a top and a forerunner of the book of Revelation, all the way down to having uh, the six days, and on the seventh day, uh, they, they remained silent for 30 minutes and then marched around and said, all that's a model of the book of Revelation. And it's through Joshua because Joshua was the one who had the courage because the Lord told him, let's look. And he told him, he said, every place that your soul of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, which is now over in, uh, that's in Iraq. Now, if you look, Israel, the nation of Israel is not near as much land as what God has given them, but don't worry, they're going to get it back, okay? Nothing I want to let you out, let you know this morning, there's a war going over out there right now, and it ain't good. And our stupid media, yeah, I said stupid, I'm sorry, y'all just have to deal with it. Our stupid media is trying to make it look like it's all Israel's fault. It's not Israel's fault. And the only way we can tell all that is the ones who has the Holy Spirit and has God living within them to understand that this media is lying to you. 
Israel is doing what God has set them out to do. And let me tell you something. Pray for Israel every day. But don't let it bother you. God's got this. I ain't scared for them, not one little bit. Yeah, they got a battle. Just sung about it. They got a battle. They got a battle ahead of them. But God's got this, okay? Don't let it bother you. Where's that? Oh, from the great river Euphrates over in Iraq. It said, all the land of the Hittites, which goes across to the great sea toward the, where they're going down the sun, that is the Mediterranean Sea, which is over where all that is now. Uh, all of that land is theirs. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So God's telling him, say, remember what happened. The people are soon to forget. People forget so quick. Only thing we can learn from history is we can't learn from history. That's the only thing we do. If you think about it, even when God parted the sea, you know what day that was from the time they left? The third day. There's something to the third day. Everything about the third day, right? I, they soon forget. But he's telling them, Joshua's a sharp guy, and he's saying, I remember all the things they did and how God was with him. And God's telling him, be of good courage because I'll be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. So look at the point on the outline. Why courage? Because Moses is dead. So why did Joshua need that courage? Because he needed to say, see, Moses had went up on the mountain and been gone for a while, and they was all worried about him. Won't know where he's at. So the word of the Lord had to come to Joshua and say, he's dead. Now it's time to move on. We got to have courage when some of the our old ways of doing things now it's a new world, it's a new time, it's a new age, and God said, I need you to take that place. You know, we have to do that throughout the church age, throughout this whole 2,000 years of church we've had. It's had to be passed down from generation to generation. And the Word's trying to tell each one as the next generation takes over, as these young folks here takes over, they need to know the Word of the Lord. And we've got to teach them. We've got to teach somebody to stand in that gap so that when they come up, it ain't lost. Right? We need courage. We need courage to show them how to have courage. Right? This world and our lives are filled with loss, sorrow, and grief. And we need courage to rebuild the walls and stand in the gap no matter what happens. That's what I just got through talking about. <laughs> I ain't good at one of these. <laughs> We need courage because bad things happen to good people. Have you ever noticed that? Bad things happen to good people. You know why? We're living in a sin-cursed world. You know? We're not, we're not exempt from this world and the things that go on. But we have been raised to a new standard. We've been raised to a new standard to have the courage through Christ and be able to go back and, 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 and remember history. As you get old enough, you're a new Christian. You know, you pay attention as you go through. And as older guys, remember what the Lord has already done for you in the past. Every time when you get into something, you think, how in the world am I going to get out of this? Right? But then I look back on it and I say, I'd have seen where I got out of it, but I never could see that coming when I was in it. But what we got to have is good courage. What I've always told Lisa, I said, what I always try to do is just what I'm supposed to do. You know, as I keep going through life, you know, I got things to do. And I just need to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. I had somebody ask me one time, you know, because I, I, I was into this end time prophecy scenario stuff. And I studied that stuff for 20 years. You know, I even based, I even based a lot of my, I, I based my de- doctoral thesis with it uh, just a lot of stuff of that I kind of wish I could just go back and take everything I ever said back because every time I ever realized every time I said something about prophecy it always didn't really work out the way I thought but I always know one thing it's going to work out the way God said it did and we can say it when it happens prophecy is not for future telling prophecy is for the authenticity of God after it happens y'all get me so the good thing about it is when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And we're going to look at Second Peter in a few minutes and look at what he has to say about that. Joshua 
Be strong and of good courage. Here again, be strong of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The book of Numbers is a book about the inheritance and the dividing of the inheritance and some of the ways that, that this happened and what they was told through Moses because they, they, they went to Joshua, then they went to Moses. Moses went to God. God told them how to do this stuff. And now he's trying to tell them, you know, even through you, Joshua, you are going to carry on the torch, so to speak. You're going to carry on my word that I left with Moses. Now it's been handed to you. We've got to keep this gap going. We've got to keep that word of the Lord going. Why courage? Next uh, part on the outline. Because our job is to take the land and divide the inheritance. But we are not fighting for physical property. We're fighting for eternal souls. We're not going to take nothing with you. You're not taking the nothing, nothing to heaven with you except souls. And that's the number one thing. I, don't want to, I sure don't want to carry no money or gold with me because it probably ain't going to be worth no more up there than it is here. I learned something of my life. Money ain't worth nothing. You need to, it, it, when you get to understanding that money ain't worth nothing, you'll get a whole better outlook on life. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Money is only worth something between the buyer and the seller. Think about this. I go to work. You go to work. You work all day for a little bit. And there's people out there playing football for millions of dollars a year. That means to me money ain't worth nothing. Think about it. Right? Well, it does help you buy a bass boat and some gas, but that's beside the point. We're not fighting for money and eternal wealth. Our eternal wealth is our souls and the souls of people. That is where it's worth. That's worth more than all the money in the world that's ever been put together. And what I want to hear one day is someone that can come up to me and say, I'm here because of you. Thank you for you and your prayers and for what you've done. Do what you're supposed to do. I had people, you know, I was talking about the end time stuff. I had somebody come up to me. I was, I was, I was teaching one night on, on rapture. And they come up to me and they said, if you knew the rapture was going to happen tomorrow, what would you do today? Now, theoretically, we know, nobody knows what that day is, right? But they just said, if you wasn't, they just prodding. I said, well, I would go plant a tree. And I throwed them off. Planting trees, when you plant a tree, say I'm a tree farmer. And when I plant a tree, it's going to be 25 to 30 years before I get any result out of it. And if the Lord's coming back tomorrow, why would you plant a tree today? It's because that's what I do. I keep doing what I do and what God's called me to do until that day comes, whether it's tomorrow or 30 years from now. Y'all get what I'm saying? We got to do what we're called to do, right? I don't know if that makes any sense or not. That's just coming from old country boy. But, you know, we're talking about strength here. I was talking about that, you know, last night. I'm crazy, okay? I'm just going to let you know I'm crazy. I talk about people sitting around watching sports all the time. I thought, that's crazy. But my wife reminds me of how she, well, people think you're crazy because you sit around watching people farm. <laughs> so I watch them, and then not, I, well, they got a new tractor out. John Deere and, and, and Case International both are putting out these two new tractors, and they are, they are 750 horsepower tractors. That is a bad boy. I want one of them so bad I can't stand it. But the price tag on them is $987,000 for one tractor. Money ain't worth nothing, is it? Right? I don't want that tractor as bad as I thought I wanted that tractor. But I like watching that stuff because there's a lot of strength in that. And I'm just going to throw something else out. I, I, I got a minute, I hope. I'm going to just throw out something. I'm going to show you right now what the scams are going on in our country right now. The scam of, of uh, the uh, global warming and, and the climate and the emissions and all that stuff, how they're doing the emissions. Did you know everything with 750 more horsepower does not have to run deaf 
and their diesels. Death is the diesel emissions fluid or diesel exhaust fluid. It's supposed to help the emissions. Everything over 750 horsepower does not have to run death. Guess what? The ones with over 750 horsepower needs death more than any of them. But it's the rich folks running the big stuff that ain't got to pay for it. It's the common people like us, what that, what they were just talking about a while ago, that's scamming people to have to pay for it. Did you know that? That's why John Deere and Case International is making 750 horsepower tractors right now so they don't have to run death. I just throw that out for free. <laughs> Luke 19, verse 5 through 7. When Jesus came by and looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in a great excitement and joy. But the people was displeased about it. Imagine that. Okay? And these people that was displeased was what you would say, they wasn't, wasn't a church then, but these are church people. Okay? That's displeased because this man now, Jesus is going to this sinner's house. Uh, he has gone to the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled, because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the tax collectors was not good folks in their eyes. Uh, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half the wealth to the poor. Lord, I have, if I have cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. Jesus responded and said, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Yeah, I didn't come to save... Jesus was saying, I didn't come to save the righteous. I come to save sinners. And sin has entered into the house of the Lord where it ain't supposed to be. But what you've called a notorious sinner has just now repented of himself and is going to do as a true son of Abraham. In other words, what he was saying is, that's being a true son of God. And when you've been born again, you're supposed to be a true son of God. And to be a true son of God, you are to meditate on his words day and night. You are to understand his law. You are to live within the conscience of the Holy Spirit. And you ain't supposed to cheat people. And there's been a turnaround right here. When you see this turnaround, I've seen people before that said they've been born again, and then I don't see no result of it. I'm not one to judge, but I ain't seen no result. And I've seen some folks that was pretty notorious, folks, that's got born again and turned their lives around. And I can look and say, that's a true son or daughter of God. Because it, they live it. They show it. Right? That's what this is talking about. That's what he's trying to get across. It's just because you might think they're a notorious sinner, look at their life and see how they get turned around. And then rejoice in it. Don't be mad about it. Why do you want to be mad? Because somebody got turned around. That's crazy. These folks are crazy as I am. Just look at this. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. <clears throat> now we're going to look at somebody else. We're going to look at, at Paul, how Paul got his life turned around. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote three pastoral letters, and this is one of them to one of his little protégés, which is Timothy, and he's trying to, he's trying to get across to Timothy the, uh, what's going on here. Okay, so he's telling me, he said, uh, verse 12, he said, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. But let's listen to what he's saying. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I per persecuted his people. In other words, in his, in, in, and in his ignorance, he said, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and belief. God's mercy trumps over, the book of James tells us this, it trumps over judgment. God gets a whole lot more out of it to see a person get born again, moved out of his ignorance, and put in a place that he can serve God. Right? We're going to be talking later about conviction and calling. Today is courage. We've got to get that courage. Paul is trying to tell them how to do that. 
Paul was trying to tell them how, how he was even used. Notorious sinner, the one that held the coach for him to beat Stephen. All, the, all, the, all this stuff, he blasphemed God, he, 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 he persecuted and, and killed Christians. And God said, if, he, he's trying to say, if God can use me, he can sure use you. And he's trying to tell Timothy how to teach his people. Because Timothy is one of his young pastors. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that comes from Jesus Christ. This is a trust, trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. In other words, he's saying, if he can save me, he can save you, and he can save anybody in your congregation. That's what he's telling Timothy. He's trying to make Timothy understand, I don't care how bad he is, God can save them. When a bad person, when a notorious bad person comes in these back walls, or these back doors and come in there and sits down, don't grumble about that guy right there. Praise God he's in here because he ain't going to get it in the world. He's going to get it here. Y'all with me? That's what, that's what Paul's trying to get across to him. And then he says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of the great patience and even with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Y'all see what he's getting at? That's what Paul's trying to tell. Standing in the gap means it's recognizing the difference between when a person was in the world and when he's been born again. It's, a, it's, it's understanding how to move people from a bad spot to a good spot how to move people into their calling, how to move people into their conviction, how to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And then when he gets them to one side, you got to get, you got to be the one in the gap. You got to be the voice of the Lord in the gap that moves them from here to here. Now, when they get to here, don't expect them to be number one. I've been born again for 40 years and he's still working on me because I'm still stupid. I fall for stuff sometimes, right? And in my ignorance and in my stupidity, the Lord still smiles on me. And he still gives me, keeps my salvation. I ain't going to lose my salvation over something stupid, right? But I need to learn from that and move on to show others that, yeah, I might have been a little stupid right here, but God worked on me, and I'm back up to here. And, and it, it's sort of like the prodigal son, the whole idea. He said, and when the brother got mad, he said, don't get mad. Your brother's come back. It's sort of like First and Second Corinthians. When they had to kick one guy out of church, Paul told him, he said, kick him out because y'all done let him get too ignorant. And then when he repented of it, they didn't want to let him back in. And he said, come on, folks, let him back in. I know I'm paraphrasing that, but y'all need to go back and read that, and y'all see what I'm saying, right? What it is, it's all about forgiveness. It's all about repentance. It's all about putting a person where they're supposed to be. That's what, that's what it's all about. Joshua 7, only be strong and very courageous. Here again, be strong and courageous, right? Be that 750 horsepower John Deere tractor. Be strong, right? Be courageous. As that old country boy standing up over the mic acting stupid, but he's trying to get a point across, right? You can do that. Be strong. Be courageous. That you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, to not turn it from it from the, from the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now listen to what it's saying. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. See, the thing about the Bible is there's models within the Bible, and there's also witnesses within the Bible. One of God's laws is there must be two witnesses. That's why when Jesus was crucified, they put two false witnesses against him. Y'all remember that part? Because the law had to be two witnesses. 
to every scripture in the Bible, there's at least two other scriptures somewhere that back that scripture up. Okay? That's just that's, that's part of God's law. That's part of the, uh, just the part that just fascinates me of how, how the, the, the word of God is put forth because it gets on my, one of my pet peeves is when people say that the Bible was written by 40 different authors. No, it wasn't. It was penned by 40 different people, but there's only one author. Y'all with me? It's a pet peeve of mine that people try to, because there's no way that 66 books can be an integrated message system written over 2,000 years by 40 different people. We can start off a sentence over here, and by the time it gets back there, it's clean out of the picture, right? Y'all get what I'm saying, right? So Psalms 1, 1 through 3, it's not in, your, it's not in uh, none of this here. But Psalm 1, it's a psalm of David, uh, and it says that, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But he's blessed is the man who, in, who meditates in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. Y'all remember what he just got through saying, right? He said, He will be like the tree planted by the river's edge. That's getting water even during dry season. That even during the dry season, who will prosper. In other words, blessed is the one who meditates in the word of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. He will be like the tree planted by the water's edge, and he will be blessed because he will prosper even during the dry season. So even during a time of, of, of a COVID pandemic when you ain't even working, whatever, I still had work and I was still going and I still prospered. And all I could say was it's a part of the law of God because I was meditating in his word. I wasn't paying attention to the fear it was put into the, from the world. I was meditating in God and God kept us prospering. Y'all with me? I'm just telling you. Just the way it is. Right? I added that in free. Why courage? Your next one, why courage? It's always about why courage? Because our success and prosperity in life, family, and ministry is determined by our obedience in the word of the Lord. That's what it's determined by. It's not determined by what job you get or what somebody pays. Remember, money ain't worth nothing. If you get anything out of that, money ain't worth nothing. Eternal souls is worth more than any money ever will ever put. I'd much rather have, have been able to lead people and lead them into an eternal salvation as I had to give them a bunch of money because money's not going to save them, right? But I can't do some things unless I prosper. And God's telling us we need to prosper. He don't want you poor. He just don't want you having the love of money. That's the difference, Right? It needs to be the love of eternal souls, not the love of money. We need money in order to do things. We've got to keep electricity on. We've got to keep things going. It costs things. It's got a habit. I'm not going to tell you this morning how much I would like to, but something's telling me. See, a lot of times I have the right to remain silent. I don't have the ability. But I'm going to try to hold this back. But you would be very surprised at how much it costs a week to keep these doors open to keep the, the Arab campus and this one a week. It's in the thousands, okay? It costs money. God wants us to prosper, right, but not be the love of it. Y'all with me? Second Peter, one, uh, Second Peter 1, it said, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Oh, Peter, you know, I'm a lot like the old Peter. Only time Peter ever opened, opened his mouth was to change feet, right? Oh, Peter, we give Peter a bad rap sometimes in his early year, in his early days with Christ. But after the, after the day of Pentecost, after when the Holy Spirit, once Peter got the Holy Spirit, he was a powerhouse, folks. He was stronger than any John Deere tractor ever made. Boy, I keep bringing that up. Don't I? I love that big old tractor? But I like me some Peter too, right? He was a strong person. 
he was he was he was to the point. He was excellent. And then and and in that, if you if you start reading that, if you look at the at at the at the New Testament uh, gospels of what Peter was doing, but then you go back and look at his letters and all the things he done, you'll see a complete change of a man that would always seem backward, backwards, backwoods and country to a man of excellence and a, a, a man to the point, a man of God. Uh, Pastor Keith this morning was talking about he'd much rather be known as a man of God than anything else, you know, not a man of wealth, not a man of, of uh, other pro- or whatever, but a man of God. Not a man that owns a big John Deere tractor, but a man of God, right? Y'all see what I'm saying? So where am I at? Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. This is scripture that backs that up. That's in Peter chapter 1. Why courage? Here we go again. Next point, why courage? Because without courage, the walls of righteousness will never be rebuilt. And the gap will never be filled. you got to have courage to do that. The enemy will advance and judgment will come without standing in the gap. The judgment's coming, folks. The judgment is coming. What... And, and we're going to look at it. Well, let's just go ahead and read it, and I'll try to get with it. Second Peter chapter 3. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. In other words, the whole idea that he said, I'm trying to stimulate you to get to where you need to be and to teach people what you need to teach them. You need to be the one to stand in the gap, so to speak, right? I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through his apostles. Now, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. In other words, they're going to be coming in and saying, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. No, we're just saying, we've been hearing all these prophecies. We've been hearing all this stuff, and ain't nothing happened. God's dead. Ain't nothing going to happen. Where's that stuff? Why, why ain't it happening? Then he used the water to, uh, they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and, they, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, this, uh, and, and I ain't got time to go over that. Lord, no, I ain't got time. I'm already out of time. Look here. He, 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 ain't, he ain't saying that, that time is is longer or shorter or nothing. He's trying to tell you that God's outside of time. God's not, God's in, God's on time. He's in time, but he's outside of time. And he's trying to tell them is, just because of all that stuff, you might think it's a long time, it ain't nothing for the Lord, and he will keep his promises. The Lord isn't re- really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. In other words, what he's trying to tell them is, is that every day that the Lord hasn't come back again is another day for salvation for your friends and family and people that you love. Praise God he ain't come back. Paul tells you to be looking for him. You'll receive a crown for looking for him. But praise him for every day he ain't come. I might not make no sense to you, but dwell on it for a while. Let the Holy Spirit explain it, and you'll understand. I don't even know where I'm at. 
Second Peter 3, 10. Oh, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are within will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what matter of persons ought you be and to conduct for holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which godliness dwells. That's what he's telling them. He said, yeah, we're to be looking for it. But praise God every day that it ain't happened yet because there's still salvation to come to people. I need to move on. Joshua 1.9, this is the verse of the week, okay? Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good, good courage. Here we go again, good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Keep up good courage. Don't let it get you down because God will surround you when you ask for it and you stay with it and you meditate in it and you believe in it and you ask him for that faithfulness and you stay with it and you stay with it and you stay with it. Right? The source of our courage, on the outline, the source of our courage is God. Be strong and of good courage because the Lord your God is with us Wherever we go, just like I just got through talking about. Psalms 23, yea, though I walk through, this is David again, okay? David giving you another psalm. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. He said, I ain't scared of nothing. Oh, David, I liked old David. You know, old, old David, he was a man after God's own heart. I want to be like a man like David. I want to be a, God, a man after God's own heart. David screwed up a lot, but he was still a man after God's own heart. I mess up a lot. Don't think I don't mess up. Hang around me for a while. I mess up, right? But I want to be known as a man after God's own heart, right? He said, "Because listen to this. Remember this. This is what God's with you. Pay attention to what I'm fixing to tell you right now if you don't get nothing else out of it, okay? Listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Look at the scripture. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've been born again. In the Spirit of God, in the Holy Spirit, God's rod and staff comforts him because he's with us. You know what the rod and staff's for? It's a shepherd's staff. You know what it's for? It's got a big, long staff, and it's got a crook in it. They do several different things with it, but one of the things is every time a sheep tries to get out of the line, the hook in it reaches out there and gets that sheep and pulls him back where he's supposed to be. Your staff comfort me because every time I get stupid and I start wandering out to the side, you reach out and grab me and say, get back over here, stupid. Now, I can handle being stupid, okay? I can handle it. Some folks can't handle it. I can handle it. Get back in here. You know what the rod's for? Rod's to beat the wolf off. And when I'm with him, he's beating the wolf off of me. As long as I'm staying right there in the middle where I'm supposed to be, I'm staying away from from the rod. Right? But here's what happens, folks. You get to thinking God's beating you up. It's because you're too close to the wolf. Sheep, get out away from the wolf. You're too close to the wolf. He's whooping on the wolf and he hits you too. You're too close to the wolf. If the word of God's trying to beat you up, you're too close to the wolf. Let the staff pull you back in. That rod that beats the wolf comforts me. What uh, what David's telling them. If you don't get nothing else, remember the staff and the blood. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then will we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? He, would, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he's going to do all that, you don't think, he ain't doing all that to beat you up. Jesus ain't, ain't using you as a bride of Christ to beat you up. He loves you. He wants to keep us. We just got to stay away from the rod. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is he who condemns? 
It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercession for us. That's the man in the gap making intercession for you and I through the Holy Spirit. Use it. You with me? I got to go. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or, or sword? As it is risen for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Anytime you're going through all that stuff that the world's beating you up, trying to beat you up with, stay in the love of God, stay in His Word, and, and, and count it as a blessing to be able to show the world that even though you've beaten me up, I still love you, and I still got, I still got truth for you, and I still want to see you get saved. That's how you love your enemies. As they whooping on you, say, I still love you. Come on. A hard do. I know. Yet in these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors, right? Through who? Jesus Christ. Through what? The Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He's standing in the gap. What has he given us? Courage. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in our Christ Jesus our Lord. And nothing else can do it, no matter what government, no matter what no matter what steeple comes above comes against me. I'm standing. You standing this morning? Well, let's stand for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your judgment because your judgment is true. But in the process, the biggest thanks is thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that keeps me from that judgment, that received the judgment on the cross for me. That should be all the courage we need. And we praise you in the name of the one who testifies. Surely I come quickly. Even so, come, my Lord Jesus. Amen. Pastor Keith. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of praise. Let me just do this before we close. We never like to close a service without giving people an opportunity to accept the Lord. And if you're here today and maybe you realize, hey, I'm not ready to meet Jesus today. I'm not right with God. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. So I was going to ask us just to bow our heads for a moment. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm, I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I know there's coming a day of judgment, and I'm not ready for that day. But I believe, I believe that Jesus stood in the gap for me. I believe that Jesus died in my place that I could live. I believe that today I, I, I have the courage through Christ to step out in faith and trust Him. And today I want to be what Jesus called born again, a new start, a new beginning. Your life can begin again today. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Just a simple act of faith. Today, Pastor Keith, I want to be born again. I want to begin again in Christ. I want to trust Jesus. His hands are going up right now. I want to just lead you in just a prayer. Our ushers have got a little packet. They're going to bring it to you. They're just going to slip it in your hand. It's got a little card on the front. We're going to ask you to fill it out and give it to us before you leave today. It's got a, a, a little, little Bible study in it, just some next steps, and we're going to help you take those next steps and follow the Lord. But as your hands raise, our ushers, they're just going to slip, bring a little packet and slip it in your hand. They're going to give it to you. We're about to pray, but if that's you this morning, Today, I want to I wanna accept Christ. I want to be born again. You can just slip your hand up right now. We're going to pray with these right now. They've raised their hand. I'm asking everybody in the room to say this prayer with me out loud. If you raised your hand, this is for you. Let's, let's open our mouth. The Bible says that we believe in our heart, and then we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we'll be saved. So let's pray this prayer out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. 
If you prayed that prayer and the Bible says you meant it from your heart, then welcome to the family of God. We love you. There is a card on the front of that. If you'd fill that out before you leave, give it to one of our ushers. Let me just remind you, tonight at 6 o'clock, I would love to see all of our Holly Pond peeps at our Arab campus tonight. Next Sunday, we're going to fill this place with our Arab campus and come and worship with you guys. So we want you to come tonight, join the worship team, 6 p.m. for one hour. We're going to have child care from pre-K and under. And then we're encouraging all of our kids, kindergarten up, to just worship with us tonight. So bring the family, come out and worship the Lord, and let's just take advantage of that. Let me give you one more last thought. On our app and on our uh, website and on our social media pages, starting tomorrow, uh, you can go. We have a daily devotional to help lead us through uh, this entire 21 days of prayer and fasting. This week, our entire daily devotion is going to be on Joshua 1.9. You've got your little bracelet there to help you memorize the Scripture. The way that bracelet works, real quick, let me just tell you, you just look at that bracelet, and the first letter each letter on that on that bracelet is the first word uh, is the first letter of each of the word in that scripture so it's easy for you to look at it and you can see have i not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid for the lord and i lost my bracelet spun around here for for the lord your god is with you so you could use that to learn that scripture memorize it high god's word in your heart so i love you guys god bless you. let's give dr force one more round of applause have you all enjoyed him today him and uh, dr lisa will both be up front if you want to come by and talk to them Give them a hug. I know they'd appreciate it. If you're new to Liberty uh, and you haven't uh, picked up a gift or you want to stop by that orange information center table back there, I'll be right back there and meet you. We love you.